This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Cyber Democracy. This podcast is produced in association with Internet Freedom Foundation. This is the age of data and availability of data helps you in framing good policies. Suppose in a particular area illness is there, we must have the data why illness is there, but that data must be anonymized. Therefore, anonymity of the data is equally important to facilitate good policy and delivery of services. Replying to a question in Raj Sabha, the Minister for Road Transport and Highways has revealed that the government is selling personal data related to vehicle registration and driving licenses at a price of Rs 3 crore. The minister further revealed the department has already earned a revenue of 65 crores by selling this data. The Economic Survey of 2018 and 19, a yearly government document of the state of the economy, proposed new ways to achieve a trillion dollar data economy for India. The chief economic advisor has dedicated an entire chapter for data titled Data of the People, by the People and for the People. In this chapter, he proposed plans of the government to sell data collected as part of welfare activities like PDS distribution and National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme to be sold to private sector to further fund welfare activities. The economic survey calls for treating of data as a public good and proposes the sale of data to private sector as other countries sell public data like bus time tables in UK. To further promote and enable this data economy, the survey proposes interlinking of databases to build a giant database using Aadhaar. It proposes to shift the practice of collecting data using paper to digital. The survey not only recommends building new infrastructure of government data, it recommended active sale of it assuming the data protection law was already tabled in the parliament. I am Srinivas Kodali, your host of Cyber Democracy, and we will be listening about economy of data from Professor Ritika Khera of IIM Ahmedabad in this episode. Welcome, Ritika. So, the government says it can't fund welfare anymore and wants to sell people's data to get more money to fund welfare. Can you tell us more how our current welfare funding works? So, according to me, the government is not really saying that we can't fund welfare anymore and that the only way to do it now is to sell data. What I think they're hinting at is that we can generate more revenues by sale of this data and that the sale of this data, according to that chapter in the economic survey, is like a win-win situation, that the government will earn money and uh, that the sale of this data is somehow going to improve people's welfare as well. Now, as far as the funding for welfare is concerned currently, I think one problem that development economists have been highlighting for decades now is that social spending in India on things like health and education, for instance, is very low compared to even international standards, even if we compare ourselves with poorer countries like those in our neighborhood or sub-Saharan Africa. The way it works now is that the government generates uh, revenues through taxation, different types of taxation. 
and that's what is used to pay for these welfare programs whether it is health and education on the one hand or other forms of social support like old age pensions uh, through which people get anything between 200 to 1000 or 1500 rupees in different states essentially this idea of selling data to fund welfare looks like taxation where i have to exchange my data for welfare and this concept has kind of been introduced when the government said you have to give your aadhar to get welfare so if you are looking at this as taxation how should the tax labs look like shouldn't be the rich more giving their data and the poor not giving any data it looks like reverse where the poor are being subjected to give more data and the rich are protected because privacy has become a luxury good what do you think should be the ideal way if you look at it as taxation right so i've never thought of it in this particular way but i think that analogy may work to some extent i think what is true about this analogy is that it's definitely regressive there is a regressive element that the burden is falling on the poor much more than the rich and one way in which this is happening is that welfare support which should be seen as a matter of right not as a charity welfare is now being made contingent on people agreeing to uh, share their aadhar information with the government you're also right in saying that there's at least some set of uh, people in the policy making world who are in power at the moment who are also thinking that you know we can think of the right to privacy as a luxury good and that you should give people uh, ownership of their data and then people can decide whether they want to share it or not i think this kind of world view or this kind of way of approaching this issue is wrong one thing which i think is terribly wrong with this way of thinking about things is that not everything in this world is meant to be monetized yeah so you cannot say that your love for your partner should be something that can be traded and monetized and similarly i think the right to privacy is something like that you cannot say that there is a missing market for the right to privacy and that we can create a market and then get rid of the problems that are associated with the violation of this right to privacy it's not just a, an economic question obviously it's also a question of ethics and morality and where should uh, monetary transactions not be allowed what spheres of human life are such that monetary transactions should not be allowed and i would say that the right to privacy is one such thing if there is a missing market as some people like to put it it's not something where you should work towards creating that market and getting rid of the problems speaking of right to privacy the economic survey does recognize indians have a right to privacy but makes an economic case that data is the new public good and which is why all of this data need to be publicly accessible for private companies or for other social scientists and academia to use it for public good as an economist do you think data has all the traits of public good the economic survey goes on to defend this aspect so i think that there are some data which have the characteristics of a public good okay so if you think about information that is made available through right to information 
that is a public good, right? It is something that uh, if I file an RTI application and I get information about, say, the implementation of a government program, then that is something that I should share with others because, uh, you know, even others will benefit from that information. Similarly, data that is pertaining to the performance of the economy, whether it's prices, employment, GDP figures, uh, health and nutrition outcomes, all of these data have a public good characteristic. But what the economic survey does is it hardly at all talks about these types of data. There was one piece I wrote where I was kind of saying that these are good data. But similarly, data can be bad data as well. It can even be toxic in some cases. Those are the data that the economic survey is talking about mostly. It is talking about individual people's and a person's data, an individual's data. That I don't think necessarily has a public good characteristic. My personal data, whether it's my date of birth or my movements or what I eat or what I order on uh, on an app on my phone, all of these things, you know, some people can mine it and in learn interesting things to sell me something. But that's not what a public good is. Huh? That is using my personal data to fuel your business whether it is to sell me something or to nudge me towards buying something or considering uh, something. So the economic survey seems to be focused much more on uh, monetizing people's personal data, which I think has many risks. We know that uh, phishing attacks, for instance, are very easy to carry out just with a few basic demographic bits of information, your date of your birth, maybe your mother's maiden surname. Those are the kinds of things that are used as security questions, right? So that danger of monetizing people's personal data is completely ignored in the economic surveys chapter. The economic survey actually talks about transactional data where all the data points that you are saying, what I eat, what I do, how do I transact, where do I pay, should be monetized, right? So the survey acknowledged the people who have participated or who have submitted their opinions part of making the economic survey. And it looks like the people who built other and India stack were the ones who actually proposed this plan of sale of data. Do you think this whole reasons that they say as public good or it's needed for welfare, or is it more about India building a new data industry and it's the private players which are pushing this proposal through government? So I think this is one of the big problems at the moment, at least in that chapter on data in the economic survey. I have not looked at the acknowledgements and who have been acknowledged. That's new information for me. But definitely what was obvious to me in that was, see, if you're a private business, then I totally understand that you you would want access to my personal data because it helps you to target better or whatever it is. But now the government is also kind of jumping onto the same bandwagon. Instead of the government working on behalf of the people and saying that, look, there is a danger from sharing your personal information and here are the dangers that can possibly arise whether it's a phishing attack or whether it's being nudged to buy two books instead of one 
or you know being prompted about making suggestions about oh you may people who saw this also like this that kind of thing private companies doing it is totally understandable in the the language of that economic survey chapter is that even the government should become like a private entity so instead of protecting people from such predatory practices by the private sector the economic survey seems to be saying hey here's an opportunity to make money private companies are making money from uh, people's data so why shouldn't we join this uh, bandwagon so that's one area of concern with that chapter uh, and the second one of course like i said i haven't seen the acknowledgments is these very serious conflict of interest issues in the whole debate around data uh, in the country right so we know that the aadhar project was initiated by the second upa government the person who headed it came from the private sector he brought in all of his key team the core team was primarily from the private sector with a few a handful of bureaucrats also and then after they constructed the aadhar platform they have now gone back to their original businesses all of them and they have insider knowledge of how that platform works and they are now building businesses that would exploit that platform for profit purposes to the extent that this didn't conflict with public interest it would have been fine but we know both on the welfare side you know the welfare sugar coating that was created for aadhar to sell it to the public uh, that's very problematic we know that if welfare uh, the aadhar platform and its compulsion the compulsory use of aadhar has created all kinds of problems and on the other hand we know that this data economy of course it has a lot of potential but it also comes with a lot of risks and costs and that side is being completely suppressed in the debate in india uh so the conflict of interest uh is one serious concern and the second serious concern is this government now thinking of itself as a corporation itself rather than thinking of itself as an entity that has to guard people's interest the economic survey actually proposes couple of uh, methods where the indian government can build infrastructure to collect data it's not just about selling existing data but also collecting new data and to do this the survey actually recommends that the government should link all government databases using aadhar and build something called the enterprise architecture which in ways what you have been saying about how the government is trying to think in terms of being a platform or being a startup but during the supreme court judgment the court has actually agreed that the government can't build this using aadhar and has based its entire judgment on this and now we are hearing that the government intends to do this or is probably already doing this do you think with all of this what is happening with plans for sale of data the court should relook at the whole other judgment in itself because that's what is allowing the government to look into selling data and building new infrastructure for collection of data you know this debate on data is actually not so easy to have because it's not just in india but the world over people are only beginning to slowly beginning to understand how much influence it can have on human existence right so one danger like i said is exploitation of our personal data by private entities for their profit purposes which may sometimes end up hurting us the second of course is how this whole ecosystem shall we call it 
is also being used to manipulate people's behavior, uh, their political preferences. The electoral outcomes in various countries have been influenced by uh, misuse or abuse of these techniques, right? So, so this conversation actually needs to happen on a much wider scale so that people understand exactly that when they log into Facebook, when they like something, uh, when they share something, when they express an opinion, how are these things being used sometimes against them? One of the things that at least I have learned, because again, this is something that I have I've started reading about only in the past five or six years. The best safeguard is to restrict data collection. Yeah, so if it does not exist, then there is no question of either it being leaked or compromised or being stolen or misused. And so in many countries now, they're saying that if the government wants to collect any data, then they have to justify its collection to the people. Yeah, so that's that's the best safeguard. Here, the conversation is completely going in the other direction. They're just saying basically, just cast your net and just scoop up every kind of data and doesn't matter if it sells for one pesa, but at least we'll make something uh, of it. Uh, and this is sort of like mass surveillance, right? If they're scooping up all our information and then somebody is trying to make sense of deep learning techniques or revealing patterns and all of that, that I think needs much more regulation. In Europe, they have that nice law now, the GDPR, but uh, even with a strong law there, even with high levels of literacy and education uh, in Europe, private companies are saying that we have found workarounds. Yeah. And then there was another article which said that basically, even if Google and Facebook and other such entities end up being fined for violation of GDPR, the fines to us in absolute amounts seem like huge numbers. But for them, it's just peanuts. Yeah. So they are just treating it as a cost of business. It's one of the costs that, okay, we violate a law and we kind of pay the fine and we continue to do what we were doing. In India, even something as strong as a GDPR is not going to really take us very far, I feel, because general levels of awareness and understanding around these issues are low. People don't necessarily understand that if they share anything on the phone or on the computer, they're not. Uh, aware of the consequences. Uh, second is that the law enforcement in India is poorer. Uh, and again, like I said, even with the in the best of circumstances, companies can just shrug their shoulders, pay their fine and move on. So the kind of view that is being pushed forward that we should collect more, we should link more, all of these things, according to me, are something we should resist more. <laughs> And, you know, one problem that is not really well understood, especially when our people were being forced to link Aadhaar with everything, is that basically the more you link all your different data silos, the more you're revealing of yourself and the more you're creating something like a honeypot, right? Because then if one database gets compromised, everything else related to it is also getting compromised. So it's a very basic security, data security feature is to keep the data silos distinct, right? So there is obviously ease of use if they're all interlinked with a unique key, uh, but the ease is coming at the cost of security. So there's an ease of use and security trade-off. 
and again uh, on that axis i think we are going too too much onto the ease part at the cost of ignoring data security speaking of uh, the data protection law and gdpr the economic survey actually assumes there is a draft data protection bill which is already tabled in the parliament well we haven't seen that yet uh, there is a proposal to bring the bill during the winter session but do you think the bill will restrict any of the government plans i mean from the sh- looks of the sheer majority the current government possesses in the parliament and the way the economic survey just assumes that we need to do this data economy to build a trillion dollar data economy what happens if this doesn't happen are we seeing a trillion dollar economy we are spending a lot of money in terms of building up this trillion dollar economy but are we seeing any returns at all so predicting the future isn't my strength at all uh, i don't know what will happen whether that is about the trillion dollar economy or with the data protection law but uh, we can see that things have not been good in parliament right that a lot of bills have been introduced suddenly without uh, informing mps beforehand or giving them time to think about it bills are being passed within a few minutes of being introduced without any debate or discussion let alone being sent to parliamentary committees where they can be deliberated upon where people like you and me can go and give our inputs and register our concerns uh, with certain things so from that point of view things are not looking uh, that great uh, the other area of concern like i said is even the constitution of that committee which drafted the the draft bill uh even there there were concerns right that a lot of people from industry were represented there but not so much people who were raising questions about this whole trend towards a data economy etc and as it happens even justice shri krishna who headed the committee uh has been speaking and uh, expressing his concerns about where all of this is going but i still feel that we should use all the democratic channels that are open to us to uh, raise questions so even if it doesn't go to a parliamentary standing committee we can still write about it and talk to people about it and create awareness so that it becomes harder to just steamroll these kinds of legislations which are not in the people's interest i have one last question which is related to data in welfare or data of the poor i mean across the world what we are witnessing is the first level of technology interventions or manipulating people with technology or collection of data in itself or all of these violations that the big tech does is happening continuously and is being targeted on the poor like if you look at facial recognition you'll see that google is paying money to people who can collect the facial recognition data and it's being used to target on the poor in india aadhar itself has been started as something with welfare and something to do with the poor what is your sense of this idea that big tech is bringing technology that oh we are going to solve the world's problem and why do you think they are going after the poor so i think there are a couple of interesting things that i read around these issues the first one was a book by shoshana magnet it's called when biometrics fail and in that she said almost exactly what you're saying the biometrics industry 
see, they were developed in the defense sector, right? And then they started looking for commercial applications. When they started looking for commercial applications, the first place they went to was prisons because those are the people who are most disempowered and who, ha who cannot have any say in whether or not these things are used on them. So in the prison industry, they started using biometrics and yet the biometric industry found that the volumes were not high enough for them to generate profits. So the next sector that they began to eye was welfare. And again, uh, in the case of the US where they started using welfare for biometric use, there was absolutely no evidence on what is the scale of this problem of duplication which biometrics is supposedly able to resolve. The narrative was such that the lack of evidence on duplication was treated as evidence of its existence. Uh, and of course, you know that that's exactly what happened in the Indian case, that they said, oh, there are many ghosts and duplicates and bogus, etc. And therefore, we need Aadhaar to deduplicate. And actually, there was hardly any evidence at all on the problem of duplication and bogus in the system. So why do they go after the poor? It's, I think, because the poor don't have a choice, right? They're basically arm twisting them to submit to these things. The other interesting book is by Virginia Eubanks. It's called um, Automating Inequality. And uh, that provides another insight into why these technological means are being used in the sphere of welfare. And she kind of says that basically through the 60s and 70s, uh, all of the civil rights movements in the U.S. began getting very good orders and judgments from the courts, uh, whether it was women's rights or black women's rights, etc. Then women started using these uh, legal victories to operationalize them and to claim welfare from the governments in the U.S. And so what happens then is that the expenditure on welfare starts rising as women start using these tools in their favor. And the response of the state then is to throw technology at them. So you disguise it as saying we're bringing efficiency and, you know, improving systems. But actually throwing technology at these women ended up also knocking off a lot of women. So this, so one small example, just to uh, illustrate this point, is that earlier women could just apply uh, on a paper form for their welfare. Then these people came along and said, no, everything is online. And, you know, even in the Indian upper middle class, uh, middle class, whatever you want to call it, they all think of how, you know, an online facility has been introduced and that's amazing. Uh, and it is true, you know, having IRCTC to book your tickets is a fantastic facility. But the fact is that alongside IRCTC online bookings, you still have the ticket windows, right? But what they did in those cases is they said, no, now only online is allowed. And that basically meant that a lot of people who didn't have access to online facilities, they didn't have personal computers, smartphones didn't exist at that time. Uh, all of them started basically becoming dependent on some kind of intermediary, some kind of civil rights group to be able to file their application. And I think we see that tendency in India as well. Having a, an online facility as an additional mechanism for filing an RTI, for uh, booking a ticket, for applying for a particular benefit, for all those things, it's a great facility. But to make it the only thing would be 
terrible yeah and uh, there was a notification in gujarat that one particular department has said that any application now has to be made only online uh, and again i think it's important for people to understand that in this kind of social setting that we are in making it only online basically it will drive poor people into the arms of middlemen they may be not called middlemen or dalals or whatever it is they will be called e kiosks or customer service provider or e mitra or whatever it is but basically we have seen uh, in many states that when the official charge is 50 rupees they will charge 100 rupees you know when they free service they will still end up charging 20 30 rupees because they also know that that poor woman who has come to withdraw her pension she needs it that she cannot survive without that 500 rupees so they basically take advantage of that power equation so why do they go after the poor one could be to save on money uh, because these technological tools they look good to the educated and uh, you know the better off and more privileged people but they end up becoming hurdles that knock out people from the welfare system uh, amongst the less privileged and then the others of course that there is a power imbalance and they are just using that power imbalance to their own benefit a lot of important points and books there i always keep saying this this country runs on paper you really want digital india but if you actually need to get work done if you have to raise a complaint it's always through a paper unless there is paper the file doesn't move and you don't get what you want and thank you ritika thank you for coming on to our show thank you for listening to the episode of cyber democracy you can listen to this podcast on sonoindia.in or any other podcast app of your choice as independent producers we rely on you our listeners to support us so please visit the support page on our website sonoindia.in and contribute generously 